this morning there's something the Lord has put on my heart to share with you guys. And, and really it happened a couple of weeks ago at our prayer retreat. One of the things as I was walking into this retreat, I felt like the Lord saying to me was, listen to the prayers of my people. Because as you hear my people pray, you're going to begin to see and discern what my will is. Our 102 of us that went and fasted and prayed and sought the Lord. And there was one theme that kept coming up again and again and again during our times of prayer. And it was a theme of strongholds being broken. Over and over. This idea of chains being ripped off people. People being set free of strongholds that were over them. And I believe the Lord is saying to our church right now, this is what he's doing. This is a season right now where he wants to break strongholds in your lives, in the lives of our community. He wants to show us his power to destroy every single stronghold. Maybe when I say stronghold, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Let me, let me make sure you understand what I mean when I say stronghold. Stronghold is referring to things that grip us and trap us, ways the enemy has us walled in with lies and untruths and brokenness. Things like addiction can be a stronghold, alcoholism, porn addiction, workaholism, some way substance abuse where we feel trapped and no matter how hard we try, we can't seem to get out of it. That's a stronghold. Another stronghold could be bitterness. It could be unforgiveness. There's somebody who's hurt us and we're just trapped in this. We can't let it go. We can't forgive. Sometimes it's jealousy that consumes us. We see others have what we want and we get jealous and we can't break free from that and it destroys us. Sometimes it's materialism and greed needing the next thing and the next thing and we're trapped in that. Sometimes it's anxiety and fear that has us so overwhelmed we can barely leave our bedrooms. Sometimes it's physical sickness, persistent sickness that keeps us weak and no matter how hard we try to get healthy, we can't seem to break free from it. Sometimes it's, it's mental health and depression that comes upon us and we feel trapped by it. We want to be free, but we're, we're gripped in it. All these different types of things that can control us and trap us, those are the strongholds that I'm talking about, that I believe the Lord wants to break us free from. I think the Lord wants to do it because he's told us in his word he has power to do so. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's in the New Testament. Getting, getting close to halfway through the New Testament, maybe a little past it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to read just a couple of verses for you. This isn't even the main text of this morning, but I want you to see what it says about how our God works, because it's going to set up what we're going to talk about this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The very strongholds I've been mentioning, he's telling us that the weapons of our warfare have divine power, not human power, not church power, divine power to destroy every single stronghold. There is not a stronghold that the name of Jesus cannot tear down. And I believe the Lord is telling us this is a season right now in our church where he wants to tear down some of these strongholds. And this morning, I want to talk about a specific weapon that God has given us that so few of us use in this divine war to tear down strongholds. It's the weapon of fasting and prayer. We're in the season of Lent right now, and those of you who've been a part of the church recognize this already. I've been asking the church body every Wednesday to do a 24-hour fast, to go without food, to seek the Lord in prayer, to cry out to Almighty God. And there are a number of you who've taken me up on that. It's a percentage of the church body who've tried it, more than I've ever seen before. But there, the majority of us are not doing that on a regular basis. And, and I know the moment I mention fasting in any form or, or, or fashion, there are all kinds of thoughts that come into people's minds. 
for most people, fasting feels like one of the things that monks do who live out in the wilderness somewhere. That's not like an ordinary Christian does. Like the super hyper-spiritual, they fast, and then there's the rest of us. Maybe, maybe pastors who get paid to do that kind of thing, you're supposed to fast, but not the rest of us. And there are some of you, like, fasting scares you to death because you think if you go 12 hours without eating, you're going to die. And so how in the world can you go? Because fast typically is at a minimum 24 hours of giving up all food. You're living off water basically for 24 hours or more. And the thought of that scares the heebie-jeebies right out of you. So you don't even want to hear a message about fasting. And we know if you get up and walk out, you're one of those people. And I'm just kidding. You might have to use the restroom. That's okay if you do. Don't be condemning people. But you're scared of it. It, it, seems, it seems strange or hyper-spiritual. And so you, you don't practice it much. But here's what I, I want to encourage you. However you feel about fasting, whatever your mindset is going into this conversation, there's one thing you absolutely need to know. Fasting is 100% biblical. The Bible is very clear with this example. Over and over, you see it all through the Old Testament. You see people fasting constantly. You get over to the New Testament. Our prime example, Jesus, was a man of fasting 40 days without food. He's seeking the Lord. So this is all over the Bible. And, and what I want to teach you this morning is that the Bible actually, Jesus himself makes it clear that his expectation is that we would fast and pray. In fact, I want you to go to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew a little bit longer, so go to Matthew chapter 6. It's right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and you're going to hear Jesus teach about fasting. And, and there's, a, there's an aspect of this teaching that we get confused by or sidetracked by, and we focus too much on it, and we miss what Jesus is actually trying to teach us. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, listen to what it says. And you'll get a glimpse of, of Jesus' expectations. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, if you've ever read this passage before, I'm, I'm certain that your mind automatically goes to the abuses of fasting. And Jesus is counteracting the abuses that were taking place among the Pharisees. The Pharisees were known for their fasting two days a week. They did 24-hour fasts. So they had a very regular practice of going without food to seek God in prayer. But what happened to the Pharisees over time is it started to shift away from seeking God to start to become a show. Look at me. Look how spiritual I am. Look at all that I'm willing to give up. And absolutely, Jesus is attacking that. But our problem isn't that we fast too much. Our problem is we don't fast at all. And I want to focus you in on the first thing Jesus said in verse 16. He says, and when you fast, dot, dot, dot. Verse 17, and when you fast, dot, dot, dot. Let me, let me tell you what that means. He doesn't say, if you fast, here's the right way to do it. He says, when you fast, here's the right way to do it. His expectation is 100% that his disciples would be people of fasting and prayer. This would be normal for us. If you look at the example of the early church, it was so prevalent. They fasted and prayed all the time. It was very normal for them to do so because they knew Jesus said the moment that he was no longer with them, that's when his disciples would begin to fast. And the moment he died on the cross, went to the grave, three days later rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now he expects his disciples to fast. One day he'll return and our period of needing to fast and pray will be over. But until then, he expects his disciples to fast. Which, which I think really begs the question, if Jesus is clear on his expectations, then why don't we do this? Why, why don't we talk about this in the Christian church? Why are there so few sermons about fasting? 
Interestingly enough, uh, I, I think society is getting more excited about fasting than the Christian church is. It's really interesting. You hear all this about intermittent fasting and about periods of fasting to lower your glycemic index and glucose levels. And it, it's all about health benefits. And they're talking about this and the church isn't talking about it at all. Or interesting, you go to certain places, people are very spiritual, want to connect with nature, and they'll fast for days to be out in nature to try to connect more deeply with creation. It's becoming a very spiritual thing, but the church isn't talking about it much. And I think we have to ask the question, why? Jesus was clear, I expect you to do this. I want you to do it the right way. And so why aren't we doing it? I think there are three reasons. And the first two I can answer quickly. The third one, I'm going to need the entire sermon to answer that question. First reason, it's because we're afraid. Second reason, because we don't want to. Third reason, because we have no idea what benefit it brings. I want to deal with the first two. First question, the first reason why we don't do it is because we're afraid to. I just want to talk to you physiologically for just a moment and, and remind you this. I've spoken this before. I want to say it again. The vast majority of adult human beings can go weeks without food and be perfectly okay. Unless you are hypoglycemic or have some kind of preexistent condition, which some people do, the odds are 90-something percent of you can go 24 hours without food and be absolutely just fine. Now, our bodies in their spoiled pattern may get really angry with us, but our bodies will be just fine. Uh, we can handle this. We don't have to be afraid of this. Something the church has been practicing for a millennia and been just fine with. You, you don't have to be afraid of it. Second reason people don't like to talk about fasting or do it is because they just, they just don't want to. It seems like it'll hurt too much. Because you, you skip breakfast and you get hangry and mean and rude. and Like, I don't want to be that kind of person. It hurts too much. Why would I do this for a whole day? And let me just go ahead and tell you, um, yes, there's pain in fasting, but it's not nearly as bad as you might think, especially when you develop a routine of it. When you have a regular pattern of fasting, you discover your body is incredible. God created incredible machines that are able to do things that you learn how to overcome and you look at the signals in your body. You, you don't have to be afraid. Yes, there's some pain in it, but it's worth it. And the reason it's worth it is because of the third reason why people don't fast. They don't fast because they don't understand the benefit that comes with it. The reason why it's worth enduring whatever pain there might be in going without food for a certain period of time is because of what the Lord wants to bring to you. Again, this is what they miss in the words of Jesus. Very clear teaching he has, but we get sidetracked by the abuses that some people were having. I want you to go back to verses 17 and 18 of Matthew 6. Listen to the way it ends. Verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not, may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Listen to this. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This, Jesus is trying to teach us that there is a reward for those who choose to fast the right way. Now, he's saying there's no reward if you fast for show, check me out, I'm super spiritual, aren't I amazing? Absolutely, there's no reward for that. But those of you who choose to fast because you want to draw more deeply into Christ, you want to have deeper fellowship with Almighty God, there is a reward. The Father himself will reward you. And let me tell you about the Father's reward. He gives you things that no one else can give you. I'm talking about strongholds in people's lives. There are strongholds in your life that you know you cannot overcome. There are strongholds in the lives of people that you love. You see them running away from the truth. You see them stuck in addiction. You see their harmful patterns. And no matter what you say, you can't seem to break through. There's a stronghold and you cannot overcome it. But let me go ahead and tell you, God can do what you cannot do. And when he gives rewards to people, he gives rewards that no human being can give. 
There is divine reward the Father is waiting to give us. And Jesus has just told us one of the places is by fasting with the right kind of heart and the Father will reward you. I want to talk to you today about the reward. You see, what you got to understand about fasting is fasting is not just about going without food. It's about a declaration that you say before God and before the demons of hell itself, you're saying, my God is more important to me than any substance or any person in this world. When you fast, you are declaring to yourself and everyone else around you that only my God can satisfy me. Only my God can sustain me. And I choose him above everything else. That's what fasting does with it. And when you skip breakfast and lunch and you're going through this fast that you would choose to do, you're not just going on with your day, you got a little extra time. No, you spend that time feasting on the word of God, reading his word, praying, seeking him. Because when you do a genuine fast, prayer is always coupled with it. And when you pray in a season of fasting, there is incredible power in that kind of prayer. The Father rewards it. I want to show you a biblical truth that many of you have never thought about when it comes to the power that comes whenever we fast and pray. But it's going to be through an unusual story. It's the book of Daniel. I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament, getting close to the end of the Old Testament. He's a prophet. And we're going to be in chapter 10. And I'll go ahead and forewarn you. Most people, when you read the book of Daniel, you just keep on reading because you've got no clue what's going on in the latter half of the book of Daniel. He talks about a lot of crazy things that are taking place, and he's got these visions, and we don't know what he's saying, so we just skip over them. I'm going to go ahead and dig down into it. But before I dig down into Daniel chapter 10, I've got I to set up a principle the Scriptures teach us in, in various places that you might not know. And here's the principle. There are times when God calls a person to do something in one place that has ramifications in a totally different place that seem to not be connected. So there's somebody doing something over here, and it affects something over there. But you can't see the connection point. Prime example would be uh, in the book of Exodus, chapter 17. You don't have to go there right now. I'm just going to tell you the story. But it's a story of Moses and Joshua and the Israelite army. So they're wandering around in the wilderness. They've just been freed from Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, they're, they're, and they come against the uh, Amalekites. It's a foreign army, and they were strong. And so down in the valley, there's Joshua, who's the general leading the Israelites into battle against the Amalekites. But Moses is not down there with him. He's up on the mountaintop, and he's got his staff, and he has it lifted up in the air. And as long as his staff is lifted up in the air, Joshua and his Israelite army is defeating the Amalekites. But after a certain period of time, Moses' arms start to get tired, and it starts to come down. And the moment his staff is no longer up, now the Amalekites are beating Joshua and the Israelite army. And he recognizes his staff in the air is what's causing victory down there. And so Aaron, Moses' brother, and her, one of the other leaders, they hold his elbows up all day long. Blood has just rushed out of his fingertips. They're going numb, but he's holding it up there. Because what he's doing on the mountaintop is somehow affecting what's taking place on the battlefield. And sure enough, holds his arms up all the way to the sun goes down, and Joshua and the Israelites destroy the Amalekites. So there's this weird principle that happens in all different ways that says there's something somebody will do in one place that has ramifications of victory in another place that seem to be unrelated. That's exactly what's taking place in the book of Daniel. Except instead of one place on earth affecting another place on earth, it's something done on earth that's affecting something done in heaven. And you see this principle through the Bible as well. Things on earth can give us a gateway into the heavenly places. What we do on earth can affect the battle in the heavenly places. That's what's going on with Daniel, chapter 10. I want to read just a couple of verses and let you know what's going on. You're going to see early on that he's in a season of fasting and prayer. Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, it says this. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. 
I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. Okay, so I'm going to pause right there and make sure you understand what's going on. Three weeks, he's doing what's called a partial fast. He's not eating any, any finer foods, any kind of taste. He's, he's kind of doing the bare minimum. This is actually the very thing you see Daniel doing back in chapter 1, if you're familiar with that. He goes into exile, and he, the, he's given the king's food and rations, and he won't eat it. He only eats like the bare minimum, the least flavorful food, as a sign of consecration and trust in his God. This was very normal for Daniel to do what many people call Daniel fasts, different ways of doing a partial fast for a very long, extended period of time. Daniel, Daniel would do partial fasts, and he would do whole fasts, going for no food. In fact, if you were to read chapter 9, there's a moment when, at the very beginning of it, he's fasting and praying and mourning and seeking the Lord. It was very normal for Daniel. Now, for this particular case, because it's three weeks, he's not doing a total fast, doing a partial fast, but he's praying and fasting and seeking the Lord. And I want you to see what happens in response to the fast. So keep on reading. We're going to read to verses 4 to 6. It says, On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Now, I'm going to stop there. There's some debate about who this person is. Some say it's the pre-incarnate Christ. Some say it's an angelic being. Truth is, we don't fully know who it is, but what we do know is this brother is not a human being. The appearance described him, he is no ordinary man. So in this moment, Daniel, three weeks into a time of fasting and prayer, he gets connected to the heavenly places. He is now getting a vision of the heavenly places that an angelic power or a divine power has come to be with Daniel, and the two now are bridged. What he's doing on earth is now giving him patterns and access to the heavenly realm. Now, this is really important for you to understand because when you understand what's taking place in this connection, then the result of this prayer becomes more evident, becomes less confusing. So he's praying. He's now connected to the heavenly realm, getting this heavenly vision. And then in verses 12 through 14, if you skip over there, you see the ramifications of this heavenly connection. Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, verse 12 says this. Then he, and that he is referring to an angel who has come to touch Daniel, whether it's the angel from before or a new angel, we don't know, but it says in, in verse 12, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Okay, I'm, I'm going to stop there. This is where it gets really confusing. And you got no clue what's going on. But what, what you need to learn about the book of Daniel, the second half, is it's called apocalyptic literature. And when you interpret that kind of literature, then you got to understand the way terms are used. So when he says the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, he is not talking about the literal prince of the kingdom of Persia. And you know it for multiple reasons. But the main reason you know it is that there is no way a human prince could withstand an angelic power for 21 days. So if you know anything about angels, they are not equal with men in power or women with power. If you were to go, you don't have to go there now. You might want to jot a note. Isaiah 37, 36, you read about what one angel did one night. 
Hezekiah, he's the king of Judah. He's scared to death because the Assyrian army has come to his border. They've already destroyed Israel. Now they're coming to Judah, and he's so afraid they're about to kill the, the nation of Judah and exile them. And he prays with Isaiah to Almighty God to come. And it says, that night, the angel of the Lord came, and bam, one night, 185,000 Assyrians died with one angel. Hezekiah woke up the next morning, looked around, and there were dead bodies everywhere. And then Assyria hightails it, scared to death, because they realize there's something fighting against them that they cannot control. So if one angel can overtake 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, ain't no prince of the kingdom of Persia going to stand against an angel for 21 days. And this is clearly an angel, a messenger from God, talking to Daniel. So this prince of the kingdom of Persia is not referring to a human prince. It's referring to a, a divine cosmic power that is warring against the divine cosmic powers of God. Now, now here's, here's a, a thing that we, I don't know uh, why we do this, but we kind of bury our head in the sand when it comes to the angelic world, the supernatural world. But there is a world that you cannot see, you cannot touch, you cannot hear, you cannot smell, but it's just as real as the seat you are sitting on. There is a supernatural heavenly realm that has effects on earth. I, I, wanna, I want you to keep your place in Daniel 10, but I, I want you to jump with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12. If you come to our prayer gatherings, I, I read this from time to time because it's important for us to remember. Ephesians 6, 12 says this. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I don't know if Paul could be any clearer. There are evil forces in the heavenly places. There are cosmic powers. There are rulers and authorities. There is an evil hierarchy because there is an angelic force that has rebelled against Almighty God. God created the angelic powers. Satan, one of his created beings, caused a rebellion against God, and there were a number of angels that went with him. These become the demonic forces that you hear about in the Bible. And they are warring against the angelic powers of Almighty God. And this war is real. And this celestial war has effects on things on earth. It's actually why he goes on to say what he says right here. In, in 6.12 of Ephesians, he talks about how we, there's this evil forces in the heavenly places and cosmic powers. And then he says, because of the reality in heaven on earth, go ahead and put on the full armor of God. You better protect yourself. You better get the helmet. You better get the shield. You better get the breastplate. You better get the belt, the shoes. You better get the sword. You better be ready because what's taking place in heaven is going to affect here on earth. And that's the part we miss. We never think about the heavenly warfare affecting things on earth. We see sweeping evil and we don't make the connection. We read about things like the Nazi regime and, and all the evil that took place in Germany in World War II. And we go, yeah, man, that Hitler, he was terrible. And yes, he was terrible. But we never stop and think about the cosmic powers that were propelling that whole thing. There was evil behind it in the heavenly places causing that war to take place. Today, we see what's taking place in Ukraine and we lament it, and we say, why would Russia bully them like that? Why would they mistreat this Putin? He's the problem. And yes, he's making some terrible decisions, but we never stop and think about the heavenly war that's taking place. There are cosmic powers that are creating the evil things we experience on earth. We look around in society, and we see the moral decay, and we're going, what is going on with my country? What is going on with this world? How have we gone so far from just simple truth? And we want to blame politicians and we want to blame progressive people or overly conservative people. It's their fault. And we never stop and think that there are cosmic powers warring against 
the world that we live in, trying to erode morality because they don't, they don't want us to live according to God's ways. Let me tell you why that matters. If we don't understand the causation, we're going to be fighting the wrong battle in the wrong place. We don't battle against flesh and blood. We war in the heavenly places. And we must understand the connection between those two or we won't know how to fight the battle. So that's what's happening in the book of Daniel. You go back to Daniel chapter 10, and he's getting this, this divine picture of warfare taking place in the heavenlies. But I want you to understand this connection point. Remember, I told you there are times when you do something on earth, and it has a ramification on warfare in somewhere else. That's what's taking place in Daniel. Listen to the wording. It says that this angel, likely the angel Gabriel, who's talking to Daniel, says, I, I was withheld by the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that evil force, and they were fighting in combat. And then he says, because you were fasting and praying, God sent reinforcements, sent Michael, the prince of God's people. This is the same Michael, most commentators believe, I agree as well, that's mentioned in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 7. He's the one who stands against Satan and throws him from the heavens onto earth. He is the archangel, the one in power. And here's Gabriel fighting, or whichever angel it is, fighting against the, the angelic power over the kingdom of Persia. And they're warring. And because Daniel is fasting and praying, crying out to God, God sends reinforcements. And they begin to win the battle in the heavenly places because here's Daniel lifting up the staff in fasting and prayer. And as long as he is doing that, the war is being won in the heavenly places. Maybe you're going, well, I, don't, I don't see that connection point. Well, go back to Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. He makes it very clear. Verse 12, then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. That means the first time he started fasting and praying over that three-week period, he said, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. You see the causation there. Because, of your, because you humbled yourself and fasted and prayed and sought me. Because of your words, I have come. Because of your prayers, Michael has come. Because of your warring on earth, there is war and victory in the heavens themselves. Here's what he's trying to teach us. God wants to reward us when we fast and pray and seek him with the right motivation. There are strongholds that are fighting against you, that are trapping you. There are strongholds that are trapping people in our city who are lost. There are strongholds in the people whom you love. And every one of them can be destroyed if we would just use our weapon of divine warfare that's been given to us that destroys strongholds. And I want to challenge you to pull out a weapon that many of you have not been using because it's time to fight the war on earth to affect things in the heavenlies. Listen, I, I, want, to, I want to stop right there just for a moment. Well, there's a chance you can misunderstand me. And if you do, I could lose every bit of this teaching. I am not telling you right now, please hear this, that just because you fast and pray, you can get God to do whatever you want him to do. Be, be real cautious. Fasting, you can fast for three weeks. That doesn't mean God's going to eat out of your hands and do whatever you want. It, it doesn't mean just because you fast and pray that surely we can solve the problem in the Ukraine and we can, we can undo the moral decay around us. and It doesn't mean you're going to solve every evil just because you fast and pray. There is no power in fasting itself. There is only power in Almighty God. But when you humble yourself and you fast and pray, that's when God begins to win the war and destroy the strongholds. But listen, sometimes a stronghold is not in the heavenly places. Sometimes a stronghold is right here in your heart. There are times when God is calling you to do something and you know he's calling but you're afraid or you're unwilling or you're fighting 
And sometimes fasting and praying, what it does is it destroys a stronghold holding you back in your heart and you submit to the will of Almighty God. It's not, it's not you telling God what to do. It's you conforming to his will. But he does call us to fast and to pray. And when we fast and pray and seek, he promises to destroy strongholds. Whether it's in the heavens above, in the world around us, or in our heart right here, he will destroy strongholds. We just got to pull out the weapon and be willing to war. Here's, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to believe that what's taking place in the heavenlies is real. I want to challenge you to believe there are really demons and they are out to get you. They do not want you to thrive and survive. They do not want you to be usable by Almighty God. And they are powerful beings. But I don't want you to be afraid. Listen, God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And if there's fear that comes up inside of you right now, I, I, want, you to, I want you to make sure you take that thought captive and you understand what's causing that fear. The only reason you would be afraid is if you were uncertain of who's going to win the war. So there's some people, they're looking up at the heavens going, oh, I hope God wins. I'm going to go ahead and give you a newsflash. He's already won. I mean, it's done. The war is over. I love the fact that God has given us the end of the story. And he said, read the last chapter. Read the book of Revelation. See what happens to Satan and all his minions. There's coming a moment when he's going to be thrown in the lake of fire where he will suffer forevermore. He will not win. Let me go ahead and tell you, Satan knows he's been defeated. He found out on the third day after Jesus Christ had been crucified. Now, on the first day, he didn't know. Here's, here's Satan, and he's fighting the battle in the heavenly places because he does get this. He understands that when he wars in the heavens, it affects things on earth. And so he's sending his angelic powers, the cosmic forces of darkness, to come against Jesus because he knows Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who can redeem humanity. He's got to destroy him. So through his angelic powers, he raises up the Pharisees to go against him, the Sadducees to go against him, the Romans to go against him. And he says, I'm going to raise up these powers because they're going to crucify that guy and get rid of this man, Jesus. And sure enough, Satan does it in the cosmic war and wins that battle. And Jesus is crucified on the cross and Satan thinks he's won. He's beaten God in the heavenly places. And for three days, he's sitting back smiling until the third day came around. And Jesus burst out of that tomb and all of a sudden he realized, holy cow, I just secured the redemption of the very people I'm trying to take down. I just destroyed my only chance. In that moment, he realized Jesus raising up means that we now have the, the Lamb of God sacrificed for the sins of humanity. We can be reconciled to the Father, and now we have a hope to defeat him. And then you got a guy named Paul who writes some incredible scriptures who teaches us how the story ends. And he goes over to Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, and he says that God has already disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he has put them to open shame, triumphing over them in Christ Jesus. It has already happened. He's won the battle. You go over to John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. It says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Yeah, Satan is real and he's powerful. But if you have Christ in you, you don't have to be afraid. Because you've got someone greater inside you. You know what Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 says? It says, neither angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can overcome us. When we have Christ Jesus in us. So why in the world would we be afraid? Yes, we recognize there's a real war. And there are demonic forces. And they are real and they have power. But we're not afraid. We pull out the weapon that God has given us. This is why I want to call you to fast and to pray. Because God has given you divine weapons for this warfare. To destroy every single stronghold.
this time you started using it. That's why I want to challenge you for the, the remainder of Lent at a minimum to join the church in three days of fasting and prayer. Not, not consecutive days, but three Wednesdays where you'll take a 24-hour fast. Many of you have been doing it for the first three Wednesdays of the Lenten season. I want to challenge you for the next three Wednesdays. And it's, it's really fasting on training wheels. This 24-hour fast is the easiest way to go about it because you're really only skipping two meals. Here, here's how it works. On Tuesday night, this coming Tuesday night, you're going to eat your dinner sometime before the sun goes down, sometime between 6.30 and 7.30. Eat your dinner, if at all possible. And then when the sun goes down, you've now begun the time of fasting. And you go to bed on Tuesday night, you're not hungry because you ate dinner, and so you're good. Then you wake up the next morning, you skip breakfast, and then you skip lunch. And instead of just going about your day, you take that time to fast and pray and to seek the Lord and to, and to read your Bible, and you're getting your heart ready. You're feasting on the Lord. You skip all your snacks, and you just drink water the whole day until Wednesday night. And I want to strongly encourage you to gather with us on our Wednesday night prayer gatherings. We meet in the chapel on this campus, and we're there from 6.30 to 8. Or if you're watching online, we have our online prayer service that you can be a part of as well. And from 6.30 to 8 p.m., we do the very thing I've been talking about, divine war. We've been fasting and praying, and we cry out to God to open up the eyes of the blind, that that stronghold of lostness would be ripped away. We pray for ourselves. We pray for our loved ones, that they would see the power of Almighty God. And then when that prayer time is over at 8 o'clock, we close in prayer and we send you out, and you get to enjoy a beautiful dinner, and the fast is over for that week. And then the next Wednesday, you'll do it again. And the next Wednesday, you'll do it again. And this is a way for you to begin to discover that your body can do this, that you can discover power that God has ready for you. Just be willing to wield the sword. Be willing to wield the weapon that God has given you in fasting and praying. I want to challenge you to join us. Find out the reward God wants to give you for seeking him above everything else. But I, I want to say this, and, and please hear this. I've said it once, I'm going to say it again. There is no power in fasting. There's power in Christ. Fasting only has power in that it can connect you more deeply as you tell him more, more tangibly, God, I want you more than anything else. Christ, I want you more than anything else. I'm enduring hunger and pain because, Jesus, you matter more. Jesus responds to that. He loves it when we seek him with that kind of passion. But the reason you need to know that it's because you can fast day after day after day, and it will do nothing but make you hungry if you do not have Christ Jesus in you. 1 John 4, 4, I read it once. I'm going to read it again. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If Christ is in you, you don't have to be afraid. But if Christ is not in you, you have reason to be afraid because you don't have the divine power to ward off the enemy and his attacks. There must come a moment when you invite Christ into you. Fasting has no power. Prayer has no power. None of these things can do anything without Christ in you. But he wants to be in you. And you say, well, Jason, tell me how. How do I have Christ in me? It's not complicated. You just confess the fact that you don't deserve to have God in your life because you've sinned against him, because you've done wrong, because you're broken, you're in need. And then you ask Jesus to come, forgive you of your sin, and come inside you and take over your life. And when you do that, he honors that. He washes you clean with his blood. You no longer have sin. That he, spent, he sends his spirit inside of us. And Christ in his spirit dwells in us. And now Christ is in us and we're made new. All you have to do is ask him. Let me go ahead and tell you. There comes a moment when you ask him that you need to make a declaration before the enemy that you no longer belong to the enemy. But now you belong to God. 
And that declaration has to be public. And that's why there's a baptistry up here on the stage. And we have it every single week for this purpose. Because every week there is somebody who needs to declare before Satan and all his minions, before themselves and the whole world, I now belong to Christ. The old me is dead and buried. There's a brand new me who is owned by Jesus Christ. It is a stake in the ground that says, in this war, I want you to know which side I belong to. I belong to Jesus Christ. And there are some of you, and you have, you've placed your faith in Christ. Maybe even today you're going, I believe now in Jesus, but you've never taken that step of faith. You've never declared it publicly. Remember, what we do on earth has ramifications in the heavenly places. And this step, though it may not seem like it does, for whatever reason God says, when you take this faith step and you declare me publicly by going into the water and coming out, then you affect things in the heavenly places that unleash my power upon you. And there are some of you missing the power of God because you're not taking the step of obedience. Do not leave this place this morning without saying, okay, God, I'm ready. In a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to come forward and let one of us know and say, I'm ready. I need to take that step of faith. I want to pledge my allegiance to Christ. I want to do something on earth that's going to affect the heavens themselves and my entire eternity. I'm ready to follow Christ. We have shorts. We have a T-shirt that says, Jesus in my place, that we'll let you get changed into. And before you leave here today, you'll have an opportunity to drive that stake into the ground and say, I belong to Christ. But before I open that up, let me also say this. There are some of you in this room, and you have strongholds in your life. And I believe God is saying that those strongholds can be broken today. You don't have to wait till Wednesday when you fast and pray. You can pray today. And there are people, there's a prayer team who wants to grab hands with you. If you're struggling with addiction, if you're struggling with bitterness, if you're struggling with depression and anxiety and fear, if you're struggling with jealousy, if you're struggling with any kind of thing that is coming against you, that has you in this feeling of being trapped, then come join hands with somebody and say, pray for me. I want this stronghold broken. I believe God wants to do some of that this very morning. On Wednesday night, we were praying for this very thing this morning, and I believe he wants to do it. Or, or maybe it's not you. Maybe it's somebody that you love. It's a child that has rebelled and is not coming back. You see a stronghold in their life. You need to cry out for them. Somebody that you love who is putting their life into the ditch because of addiction, and you want to pray for that stronghold to be broken. Somebody who is broken off with you in a relationship, and they have bitterness against you or you against them, and you want that stronghold to be broken, whatever it may be. If there's somebody that you love that's trapped, a friend or family member, somebody, you want to pray for their stronghold to be broken. What you do on earth, lifting the staff in prayer, affects the warfare in the heavenly places, and it's time for us to war this morning. So if you need prayer, I'm going to invite you to it. I invite you to stand right now. And we're going to have prayer team members just move around the room, and they're going to be all over in the aisles and ready to meet with you. And if you need prayer for yourself in a stronghold or for somebody that you love in a stronghold, they're ready to pray. If today you're saying, I'm ready to declare my allegiance to Christ through baptism, they're ready to pray with you. But you've got to respond. The rest of you, you worship the Lord in truth. And when this song is over, I'll lead us in the taking of the Lord's Supper. But now's the time. You respond.